All right, well, we are uh, continuing our discussion of the image of God. And uh, last week, if you're looking at page 11 there in front of you, we covered these aspects of the image, how we are uh, made in the image of God, having to do with the nature of our being, that we have real existence, having to do with our will, that we have volition, having to do with our intellect, we have ability to think and reason, our emotion, we have ability to feel, and in relationship, how we are dependent on one another and we have these different relationships in our lives. Now, I uh, mentioned that we're, we're doing the happy stuff right now. Next week, maybe, if we finish this lesson today, we'll get into uh, sin. And uh, we'll have to figure out, just so you can go ahead and start thinking about it, we'll have to figure out how, what sin did to the image. Okay? Because we're talking about how God created Adam here. And when God created Adam, what kind of state was Adam in? Yeah. Yep, God said, very good, right? Well then, right after that, here comes sin. And now man is not very good. So how did that affect Adam's bearing of the image of God? Well, we'll have to figure that out. Um, even though we're not explicitly talking about that, I want to go ahead and start putting our minds there with this little box you see on the right side on page 11. Image renewal. I want us to look at some passages in the New Testament where it talks about uh, how it is that the image of God in us is going to be restored or you could say fixed or you could say improved or however you want to describe it um, through these certain passages. So let's all turn to these together. Matthew 22 is the first place we'll go. Matthew chapter 22, and this is a very familiar passage. And I put this little box on this page, so that way you can just look right over to the left of that box, where we described ontology, volition, intellect, emotion, relationship, okay? Because I want you to, to think about those things as we read these passages. So Matthew 22, verses 34 to 39. Would someone read that for us, those five, six verses there? Matthew 22, 34 to 39. Rex, thanks. Hearing that Jesus <clears throat> had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, testified, I'm sorry, tested him with this suggestion. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay. So, um, let me just ask you a couple questions here to get us warmed up. Can an animal love the Lord your God with all its heart, soul, and mind? No. Why not? Okay. Okay. It doesn't really have like, I don't know. No, it doesn't have conscious. Okay. It's not self-conscious in the same sense that we are? Okay. Uh, Rex is saying there's a distinction between the emotion and the intellect. Animals and us? 
Okay, yeah, that's true, right? Animals aren't made in the image of God. There's only one creature made in the image of God. Creatures like us, human beings. And so what is Jesus here saying? He's saying as people made in the image of God, you are obligated, responsible to love the Lord your God with these aspects of the image. When he says, with all your heart. Okay, you can look through this list on the left here and you can see, well, that heart, that probably has to do with our will. That probably has to do with our emotion, doesn't it? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our will, all of our emotion. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our soul. We are real souls. We have real existence. And that probably bleeds into some other aspects here too. And with all of our mind. Well, certainly that has to do with our intellect. Are you to love the Lord your God with all of your intellect? Well, yeah, certainly. God gave you a brain. Have you ever heard that? Anyone ever tell you? God gave you a brain. Use it. Okay. Well, Jesus here is saying God gave you a brain. Love your, love your God with your brain. Okay. And so here Jesus is describing how we are to love God because we are image bearers. We can, can do this with an asterisk. Can we do this in our natural state as we're born into this world as fallen creatures? No. But can Christians do this? Okay, well, that's, yeah, that's an interesting conversation to have, and we're going to have that conversation, all right? But as we set this before the world, on the one hand, we're saying you're made in God's image. You're obligated to love God with all of your being, all these aspects of who you are as a human. You are to love God that way. And then when we start talking about sin, we tell them, but you can't. Right? That's, that's the problem, is you can't. You look at the Ten Commandments, who could, te- who could keep the Ten Commandments from your youth? We have the, the rich ruler who says he's done that, right? And Jesus interacts with them and he says, you know the commandments, do this and do this and this. And he says, oh, I've done that from my youth. I came out, I came out the womb preaching the gospel, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you didn't. Okay? So there's something about uh, this that is really important to us as Christians, though, where we say this is the goal. When we think of the goal of the Christian life, do you think these two commands are, are really important and kind of sum up what we're supposed to do? And do you think that there's something about the Christian life where we have the enabling power to do that? I think so. I think so. So man is to love God and to love neighbor through the imago Dei. And that's just Latin. It's a fancier way of saying the image of God. We are to love through the image of God. That is our calling uh, as people, but especially as Christians, okay? Now, uh, let's go to Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Ephesians 4, and let's look at these three verses, starting in verse 22. And again, I want you, as as we look at these verses, I want you to think about how the image of God plays into this. How does the image of God fit into the instruction that we're getting from the Apostle Paul? Someone read these verses for us, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Okay. Go ahead. Then in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
All right, so someone uh, give me some thoughts here on how the image of God fits into this. Paul's saying, you were this way, now be this way. How does the image of God fit into that conversation here? Can you see that in the text? What's going on with the old self? Okay, all right. So there's a corruption aspect. Again, we're going to get into that in the next section or next lesson. Okay, now what about the new self? It's created in righteousness. Okay, and what it's created in what else? Okay, and what else? There's one more thing. The likeness of God. Okay, so you've got uh, some aspect of being a non-Christian, becoming a Christian, having an old self that's associated with your non-Christian status, a new self that's associated with the Christian status. Now, through that whole thing, you've got the image of God going on, and we, we looked at that last week. You can look up at the top of your sheet where we reference James 3, 9, Genesis 5, 1 through 3. All people bear the image of God. However, there's some sort of corruption that's crept in, and now, as Christians, that image is being renewed. There's some sort of a project taking place on the image that's been corrupted that you would be conformed to God himself. Okay? The new self, verse 24, is in the likeness of God, and it's created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, redemption, Christian redemption, salvation, includes true renewal in spirit. And the, the immaterial aspect of you is in view here. You'll notice at the end of verse 23, so same passage, at the end of verse 23, we're being renewed where? What does it say? Uh, more specifically, yeah, in the spirit of your mind. Can you tell me where the spirit of your mind is? Can you point to it? Can you make it show up in a CT scan or an x-ray? <laughs> no. So this is some sort of immaterial thing going on. In the spirit of your mind, you're being renewed. Okay, this is, of course, referencing, if, if you look left of the box there on your sheet, referencing your intellect, you're being renewed in your intellect, and who you are as an image bearer of God. All right, and there's two books over. Let's go to Colossians now. Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. And we'll see one more passage that talks about this being renewed in, in spirit. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Would someone read those two verses for us? Okay. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. All right, so we get kind of the same idea here, don't we, as we just saw in Ephesians. We are being renewed in our spirit, that immaterial aspect of who you are. That's being renewed to a true knowledge. So this is in reference to intellect. According to the image of God, the one who created him. You're being renewed according to who God is. And it goes on to say, verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in all. An amazing Christ-centered renewal. But again, you have the idea of the old self, new self, and some sort of renewal that's happening. It's renewal according to God's image. You're being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. 
So it's the same idea as Ephesians that we just looked at, but it adds that this is toward a restoration of the image or a renewal of the image. Okay? Thoughts or questions on image renewal? Again, we'll talk a lot more about this once we start talking about sin. It's hard to know what to talk about first because everything kind of blends together in theology. Uh, But we have to take our time and kind of focus on one thing at a time and then step back and see how it all fits. Okay, doing all right? Let's go ahead and turn the page and let's talk about now um, this really interesting conversation of the human constitution. When I say the human constitution, I'm not talking about the one that has the preamble and the Bill of Rights and all of that. I'm talking about what makes us up, what constitutes you as a human being. How do you describe what you are made of as a human being? Because you're not just the image of God, okay? but there's stuff going on. You've got, you could say, well, I am skin and hair and nails and eyes and a nose and this. You could start listing off everything, or you could try to divide it up more generally. Well, well let's talk through that, okay? And I want to put forth this idea from the beginning that we are holistic beings. Holistic, and we'll define that. Humans exist in psychosomatic unity. What a fun word. Psychosomatic unity. It is of very little benefit to try to separate and divide the person. So here I am. I'm just showing my cards here from the beginning that it's a very little benefit to try to divide up who we are as humans. And you'll see what I mean momentarily. There is, of course, a distinction between the material and immaterial aspects, and we got to hang on to that, all right? Absolutely hang on to that. However, that does not mean that Christians should seek to develop doctrines out of it, okay? So you are not just a physical being. Praise God for that. And you're not just a non-physical being. I mean, this isn't like some illusion we're living in. This isn't, you know, some sort of a matrix situation, But you have a true, real body, and you have a true, real, immaterial aspect. Whether you say that's your soul, your spirit, whatever you want to say, you've got that going on too. And so you hold these two ideas together and say they're not the same thing, but they go together in such a way that trying to break it up and divide each one up and to figure it all out, that could actually lead to some strange places, and we want to be careful about that. So what I'm putting forth today with this psychosomatic unity, this holism idea, is that God made you body and spirit. And that's the way you're going to be through eternity. Did you know this, that you're going to have a physical resurrection? So this is kind of like the Gnostic error whenever we start thinking that, yeah, we have a body, but spirit is what's really important because bodies are bad, material is bad. Well, that's not true. That's what Gnosticism would say, is that all matter is bad. That's why Gnostics would say Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead. He was just spirit. Because, well, the body, just throw that away. Well, no, God created the body, didn't he? Is he going to restore and redeem the whole earth? Well, yeah, he is. And is he going to restore and redeem you, Christian? Yes, he is. And that includes your body. Lizzie, do you have a thought or a question? Body, spirit, and soul. Where does soul fit? 
Okay, we're going right into that. Okay, all right. So the notions of dichotomy and trichotomy may sound con convincing, but the biblical evidence just doesn't lead to precise division. So let's talk about this. Let's define these. You have uh, this on your sheet, except yours says, I think, psychosomatic unity. Same thing, okay? Anybody know, I'm just curious, does anybody know what the doctrine of dichotomy teaches about the human constitution? What does dichotomy teach? Does anybody know what the prefix di means? D-I. Two. Two, very good. All right, so you can write this down. Two parts, okay? Two parts is what dichotomy teaches. And do you know what those two parts are? Body and soul. Yep, body and soul. It's quite simple. Dichotomy teaches human beings are two parts. We are a body. We are a soul. That's it. All right? Now, with that in mind, maybe you can define trichotomy for me. Three parts. Okay, good. And what are those parts? That's exactly it. Okay, body, soul, and spirit. Now, I will uh, wait to define the other view until we look at these uh, passages. But this is, uh, you know, where the conversation starts to go, okay, is how are human beings made up? Are they body and soul, or are they body, soul, and spirit? Now, what's the challenge with this view? If you say trichotomy, humans are body, soul, and spirit, what's your real challenge here? Soul and spirit being... What on earth is the difference, right? Can you think of any passages... Anywhere that would explain the difference between soul and spirit. Uh, the one where it says, uh, I think, and uh, well, whatever the Hebrews would teach, you know, like um, love your God with all your mind, body. Like, spirit? well, the passage we just looked at from Jesus in Matthew twenty-two: "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." And then maybe strength would be added. Um, okay, you see that in some passages. But then defining, right? Because may maybe you'll have a passage, and we'll look at some, where you see soul and spirit listed, but can you define the difference? Does the passage define the difference? Okay, well, let's look at some passages. We'll, we'll come back around to your thought there, Lizzie. But let's start, uh, we'll look at all these together. I think it'd be helpful. Let's go to Matthew 10, 28 together. And let's just start seeing what Scripture teaches us about this. Because scripture has a lot to say. Matthew 10, 28. The words of Jesus here as he's talking about discipleship. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, two different times in that passage, he says body and soul. So one point for the dichotomist, right? <laughs> if you're keeping score at home, you can add a point to the dichotomist. Here it is. Jesus says body and soul. End of discussion. Move on. No, that's not the end of the discussion. Okay? Body and soul. So you can jot that down. Taking notes, you can say, okay, Jesus says body and soul. There it is. Well, now we can go to Hebrews. And I don't have these in Bible book order. I have them in the order I want to present to you to manipulate your mind. <laughs> no, to confuse you. No, that's not it either. Um, because I'm presenting this in a certain format, okay? Hebrews 4.12. It's a good memory verse. Hopefully some of you have it memorized. This is for the trichotomy? Uh, You'll see. Argument? Oh. You'll see. 
Hebrews 4.12. You want to read that one for us, Lizzie? Are you there? So again, yeah, be thinking about these different views and say, okay, well, what's going on with this one? Yep. Nope. 12. Or 12. Nope, that's not 12. Oh, that's 14. Yep. Okay. For the word of God is living and active, um, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. All right. So, who do we have a point for on this one? Sure. <laughs> yeah, because what, what does it say here? The division of soul and spirit. Now that's pretty interesting. Okay? The, the word of God pierces, divides, all the way down to the distinction between soul and spirit. Well, very interesting. But there's also something else I want you to kind of take note of here. So maybe if you have a bookmark or a ribbon, you can put it there. We'll come back to that one in a moment, okay? Because uh, there's something I want you to see there also. Let's go back to Mark now. Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> chapter 12. Verses 28 to 30. This is going to sound familiar. We just read a sister passage for this. Mark 12, verses 28 to 30. Someone want to read that one for us? Mark 12, starting at 28. Okay, go ahead, Mandy. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Okay. Well, what do we got going on here that talks about the human constitution? What words do we have? Heart, soul. Okay, so we do have the word soul there that we've been familiar with with these two views so far. But yeah, we also add heart and mind. And he's listing them, and it sure seems like these are distinctions. Heart, soul, mind, not that they're all the same, but that they're different in some sense. And so that doesn't even talk about our spirit. What does that mean? That's an interesting conversation to have. Let's jot that down. Make sure you make a little note. Mark 12, 28 through 30, talks about heart, soul, and mind. And you can, you can add strength in there too. Though I think the uh, intention, going back to the Old Testament on that, is with all of our possessions or all of our wealth, okay? Uh, but we at least have heart, soul, and mind. Okay, well, let's go to Philippians. After you get that jotted down, let's go over to Philippians. What's Philippians going to throw at us? Verses 6 and 7. We're only halfway through these verses. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Who's got that for us? Okay. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. What are we talking about here in verse 7? Where's the soul? Where's the spirit? Now we have hearts and minds listed without those other terms. Does the peace 
of God that surpasses all comprehension or all understanding, does it not guard our soul? It's not listed. Does it not guard our spirit? It only guards our hearts and minds. Well, what's our heart's heart and what's our mind? Okay, Ephesians. So the book just before, just turn back a couple pages, Ephesians 1. I'll read this one. Ephesians 1, 18. Paul writing to this church in Ephesus, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What do we have in this one? Not just that. Your eyes of your heart. Okay. So now we're talking about something within something, within something. Our hearts are within ourselves, and the eyes of our hearts are apparently within our heart. What on earth is that about? Our hearts have their own set of eyes. Do they have glasses or contacts like I'm wearing today? Lizzie? Well, I think um, it seems like your mind and your heart... We'll come back. We'll come back. Don't, no conclusions yet. No conclusions yet. One more passage before we get to conclusion. Romans. Romans chapter 9. Last one that we'll look at before we go back to Hebrews 4. Nah. That's a lie. We're going to look at a couple more. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Who can get that for us? Got it. Okay. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Hey. Two things going on here. What are the two? Conscience. Good. Now we got conscience. Now where's the conscience? And the conscience, notice that it's doing something. The conscience is testifying, and we're actually going to see that exact same thing in 2 Corinthians today, that our conscience has a testimony. So now you've got conscience and heart, again, without any mention of soul or spirit, and we have to figure out how that all plays together. Conscience and heart. Okay. Now for the trichotomists, we're going to go back to Hebrews, but on our way I want us to stop in 1 Thessalonians 5. So this isn't on your sheet, but you can jot down 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is the only other passage that uh, shows any kind of trichotomy. I'm going to make a note of that. There are two passages. You got Hebrews 4.12 and 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Those are the two passages. That if you're ever talking to somebody who says, no, we're body, soul, and spirit, they're going to go to these two. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have all three listed, and you have this word complete. Okay? So it's this idea that you are made of three parts, body, soul, spirit, and you're sanctified completely because you're sanctified in those three parts. There are actually some trichotomists who will say this has to be true because we are made in the image of God and God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Can you have an argument against that? Is God made of parts? So how does that relate? <laughs> right? We have to be three parts because God is three parts. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. God is not three parts. Remember the uh, little leprechaun guys? 
uh, the larger ones, that's partialism, Patrick. Okay? That is, that's heresy. To say that, that the Father is one part, the Son is another part, and the Spirit is the third part, and they come together and they make God. No, 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 no. Father is 100% God. Son is 100% God. Spirit is 100% God. And there's one God. Okay? You can't, you can't say, well, we have to be three parts because God is three. No, that doesn't correlate. It doesn't correlate. All right? And as to that other passages, or that other passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12, this is, you know, the other passage where they go and they say, look, there's a distinction between soul and the spirit because, look, it says the word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit. But what is often neglected at the end of verse 12 it says that the word of God is also able to judge the thoughts and intentions of what? A heart. Forgot about that one. Not only does it mention soul and spirit in that passage, it also mentions heart. And the New Testament has a lot to say about the heart. Okay, and you can't just neglect that and say, well, that just doesn't mean anything. All right. So here are your, uh, your two views that get presented often as you were two parts, body and soul, or three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The holistic unity position here basically starts with this. Stop talking about parts. Okay? That's where, that's where it starts. Let's, let's just stop talking about parts for a minute. And let's just examine uh, the New Testament, well, the whole Bible, but especially the New Testament evidence. And it recognizes, this holistic unity recognizes, of course, this is what I was going through earlier, that there is a material and immaterial aspect. Okay? You are material and you are immaterial. You have a body and you have a real aspect of you. You could, you could sum it up by saying soul. You could sum it up by saying spirit. You could sum it up by saying your mind or your heart. You could sum it up by saying your conscience, whatever you want to say. But you've got this real existence that is immaterial. And so, what you have in the Bible are different perspectives on the immaterial. So when Jesus says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, is it your job to then go do a huge study and try to come up with a definition of what the heart is, what the soul is, and what the mind is, so that way you can apply that passage. I don't think so. I don't think that was Jesus' intent. When Paul talks about, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Is it your job to figure out what the eyes of the heart are? I don't think so. I think he's talking about, talking to, actually, directly to, that immaterial aspect of who you are, your soul, that you would be enlightened in your mind, that you'd be enlightened in your heart, that your spirit would be renewed and enlivened by truth, by the word of God. And then that would, of course, have an effect on your body and how you live, that that would have an impact in application on how you live with the physical aspect of who you are. Okay, so I see a great unity in, he, in who we are as human beings. I don't see it as a bunch of divvied up stuff. Because if you wanted to go this route, you've got to define what the difference is between soul and spirit. And if you've ever heard anybody do that, it's just a bunch of hogwash. It just is. Because you can maybe you know, start walking down a road and say, well, 
Your spirit actually stays with your body when you die and your soul goes to heaven and then when you're resurrected, your spirit comes back because your spirit is what animates your body or whatever. That's not in the Bible. It's just not in the Bible. Okay? Now here, I, I have a lot of sympathy for this view, but to say that the soul is all that there is, if that's what somebody's saying, and I don't know if anybody would really push that, but to say that the soul is really all that there is immaterially, well, the Bible talks about different words. We have to acknowledge that. I think, I, I actually don't know this for sure, but I would guess that heart is actually talked about more, at least in the New Testament, than soul. Okay, so you could, why don't you say body and heart? You could say body and heart instead of body and soul. Okay, and where this view really fails is not seeing the unity. I want us to see the unity between our body and our immaterial. Because God created you with both, and you're going to live eternally with both. Okay. Well, I've got some more to say about that, but let's do thoughts and questions. Lizzie. So we don't have a body in heaven? We do have a body in heaven? Well, it depends on what you're talking about, and I'll talk about that in a slide coming up. There is something called the intermediate state. If you die before Jesus returns, okay, you will go to heaven without this tent of a body. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. You'll be without this tent of a body. But for those who are alive and remain at Christ's return, what will happen? You'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. And you're taking your body with you. But what happens before that? The dead in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be a resurrection. Okay? So... Um, if you're alive when Jesus returns, you'll never be without your body. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Jen? Which of these um, two LDS believe? <laughs> there's no, that I'm aware of, there's no formal teaching on this. Though there, I mean, there very well could be. I'm just not aware of. Um, they definitely wouldn't be here. All right? I don't know. Anybody have an idea on that? I'm not really debated on that. Now, well, I guess I can say this. This is pretty interesting. Uh, they don't believe that there's an immaterial reality. Everything it has to be made of matter. So, where does that lead you? Um, for instance, with the Holy Spirit, in LDS theology, the Holy Spirit cannot be omnipresent because he's made of matter. So, he's only in one place at one time. And what uh, Doctrine and Covenants teaches is that he is made of spirit matter. And spirit matter is still matter. It's just finer and purer than the matter we know. And you can't see it. You can't find it under a microscope. But it's still matter. So, it's locked into one place. It's limited spatially. And so, um, I don't know what they would teach on this. Because apparently, I mean, obviously they would teach we have a soul. Uh, we had pre-existent souls. But the, the soul that we have is material, like our bodies are material, just the difference is that the matter is finer and pure. That's about all I know. The resurrection of the dead? Yeah, they do. Yeah, after, after the thousand years, there, or uh, before the thousand years, there will be a resurrection. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they believe, obviously, too, that there was a preexistence of souls. Your soul was what was created um, intelligence or matter is eternal, the spirit matter, and souls were created at the beginning, 
And we existed in that spirit matter existence eternally before, well, not eternally. There was a point in time we were brought into existence. But you existed as a person before that soul came and took on a body. But it's still matter and matter. It's just different kinds of matter. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's probably right. They, and the two just meet up, and then they'll... Unless, unless they went here and defined this as the light of Christ that all people have. Because uh, that's another teaching that they have. But I don't think they would do that. Sebas. Can I say the, the heart and the mind is part of the soul? Or what's the difference between spirit and soul? The Bible just doesn't give us these definitions. So I think all of these words speak to who we are immaterially, what sets us apart from animals. So when you talk about um, loving the Lord with your soul, you're loving the Lord with who you are as an image bearer of God from the immaterial aspect of you. Now that has an effect on the material. It's not saying just love the Lord by thinking about him but never act on it. That's not what that's saying. But it starts there, right? It starts within that's another term that we use, within or inside, just referencing our immaterial. Now, there are some words like heart that probably does talk to specifically with your will, with your choices that you make, love God, or your mind. That's probably talking specifically about with your intelligence. Okay? Be renewed with the knowledge that you have from Scripture in your mind. Uh, you think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed in your mind. Okay? And so um, soul can be just a general term for who we are as image bearers of God that sets us apart from other creatures. Okay? Trying to define these things specifically is just fruitless, I've, I've found. Evelyn. That kind of leads to the question I was just going to ask. Is if you spend too much time trying to like, deep dive and decide whatever, doesn't it distract from... Oh. Like, yeah. For me, it looks like I'm kind of an all or nothing person. <laughs> yeah. I kind of just take it and then go. Uh-huh. Yes. Isn't it easy to be distracted by the actual... Like, yeah, yeah, what you would be doing... I mean, has, has anybody ever built a house of cards? No. <laughs> I'm not either. But I've, I've been involved a little bit or started to a little bit, and I quit pretty early because of how tedious it is, yeah. right? And it's just so fragile and finicky, and it doesn't last. Building one of these doctrines is the same thing. You're, it's just so tedious where you're just going to try to grasp at anything you can pick up on in Scripture when Scripture just doesn't go there and is so fragile because you'll read another passage and it'll blow that house of cards down. Okay, So to me, the sense of Scripture and the, I don't know, it seems to me the, the heart of what is being said or the spirit of what is being said, I could say, is right here. Okay, Is that we are image bearers of God and that means that we have this divine signature on us like I mentioned last week, that we have this real existence immaterially that sets us apart from any other creature. Okay, Okay. let me give you a few more thoughts. <clears throat> the physical and non-physical aspects of humans are inextricably tied. Consider the many terms used to describe the human constitution. Okay, I was supposed to do that earlier. The physical and non-physical aspects of humans are inextricably tied. Same sentence. I really wanted you to understand that. Apparently. <laughs> Now, we do best to emphasize the unity of man, okay? And that's really what sets this view apart, emphasizing the unity. 
These are defined by their divisions. And even though the divisions carry over, there's a material, immaterial division, the focus is on unity. Apart from the future intermediate state, there is no time in which men and women will exist as immaterial beings apart from any material form whatsoever. Okay, this is what I was just talking to Lizzie about. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, talks about the tent of our bodies. And it says, We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So right from verse 1, we're talking about the distinction between material and immaterial. Our earthly tent, it's temporary, it gets torn down, it gets burned, it dissolves, all that stuff. The tent not made with hands in the heavens, well, it's eternal, it says. Let me keep reading. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So again, a distinction between that which is mortal, immortal, temporary, eternal. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Now he goes on to say, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home with the Lord. So if you die right now before the Lord's return, where does your immaterial go? Home, right? You're at home with the Lord. Where's your body go? Well, it stays here. We've got to take care of it. Thanks, right? <laughs> You've given us work to do after you die. But if Jesus returns right now, what happens? Yeah, you're, you're alive and you remain. You don't experience that earthly death. How amazing that'll be for those who are alive at his coming who are looking forward to his coming. So, before Jesus returns, there's this thing called the intermediate state. For people who die before his return, you die, your body's here, and your soul, your spirit, your immaterial is in heaven. Until that day when Jesus returns, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and again, their immaterial and material will be joined together. Okay, Because that's the way God created us, that's the way we're going to be for eternity. Correct, because it'll be glorified. That's the doctrine of glorification. That we will be glorified never to taste death again. Uh, going, going back to Adam in the garden, his original body, before sin entered the world, there was no death. Same thing. Except this time without the potential for sin. So, um, I just need help to clarify my thinking. Yeah. So, I'm thinking, okay, so body, so heart and mind makes up the soul and spirit. But that's wrong because the soul and spirit yeah. can also make up the mind. They're all different words to address who we are as image bearers. It's, they're all addressing the immaterial aspect of us that sets us apart from the animals. So instead of saying soul and spirit are up here and heart and mind make up these words, just put them all in the same row. Okay. Okay? And they all speak to who we are immaterial. Other thoughts or questions? April. I have a pretty question. 
body, I don't be any skinnier. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, well, so we don't know, obviously, what our glorified bodies will look like. We just don't. Um, we will be as he is, 1 John 3 says. That's an amazing phrase. You can see what he is in his glorified state a little bit in Matthew 17 with the transfiguration. Uh, in Revelation 19, the description of Jesus upon his return. Are we all going to have a sword coming out of our mouths and eyes a flame of fire? I don't think so. All right. Hard to say. Hard to say. Will we still have our identity? Yes. Will we have identifying markers? I think so. I mean, Adam and Eve, when they were created, did Adam look like a man and did Eve look like a woman? Yeah. I don't think we all turn into like those gray uh, uniform drones, you know, where we all just look the same, like eggs in an egg carton. I don't think that's the case, all right? God loves diversity, doesn't he? And so I think that diversity is going to remain. Okay. That's right. And without the potential for sin. Yeah. You wouldn't have that right. pain that people think he doesn't feel right. because he's paralyzed, but he has a lot of pain. Yeah, our bodies will be whole. Physical pain. Yeah, a true restoration, a true renewal, where our bodies are as they should be. The effects of sin will be gone. Yeah. Rex. Mr. Quick, what I've always thought about when I'm talking to his body, you get a baby in the Yeah. Right. Okay, very quickly. Will it be babies when we get there? We've seen these babies, or will it be brought up to a point of hmm. perfection? I think that's the way it would be. Yeah. You will see a bunch of babies running around. If I can be ominous here, say <laughs> you die at 90, will you be 90? Uh, we've known people who died in their 30s, 40s, etc. Will they be that age? I don't know. That's the reason Jesus picked 33. You know, yeah. but, but also think of this how long were people living? Back in Adam's day. How long did Adam live? And so will 90, what will 90 look like in the glorified state, right? I mean, Abraham wasn't even a dad yet at 90. So that has to be taken into consideration too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the world see physical bodies come out of the grave. Yeah, I think they would have to. I mean, this is a real resurrection. It's not a secret resurrection. So, yeah, they would have to see what's going on there. Yeah. Because when Jesus comes back, everyone will serve at the same time. Like, like, Say that again. When Jesus comes back, what? Everyone will see it at the same time. It's not like he's going to come. Like, like Santa Claus does, like, sex, section. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, like it's, everyone's <laughs> Depending same. on your time zone, yeah, Hawaii's <laughs> last. <laughs> <laughs> like it's Australia's first. It's <laughs> Right, yes. It seems to me, worldwide event, same time. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it'll be real and it'll be visible. Now, there is a distinction here. Um, now, going back to what LDS teach about the distinction between matter and spirit matter, I obviously don't agree with all the things that they're teaching through that. However, I do agree there's something different about a resurrected state body. Because Jesus, he did eat. He was able to be touched, etc. But he was able also to... Walk, walk through a locked door or just appear? Like, I don't know if it's like a, a teleporting situation. Yeah, yeah, all those things. 
And so there is something different then too. So you think about, well, how can the body get the casket open and get out of the ground? You know, how's that going to work? Well, Jesus appeared in a room and the door was locked. But he was also physical and his body was no longer in the grave. Yeah, right, right. And he ate meat, it was fish. That's interesting too. You got people who's worried about the cremation. Oh, it can't be cremated. How's God going to put all that back together again? Wait a minute. Look at, look at man. He created <laughs> earth. Yeah. I think you can find the pieces. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, you're back. That's right. It's just us. <laughs> Lizzie? Why did Jesus still have the holes in his hand after he died? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a. Basically an unanswerable question. She asked why Jesus still had the marks of his death. Um, Yeah, that's a difficult one. Because obviously the effects of that killing were gone in that he was totally whole and healthy and new. Right? His body was in newness of life, Romans 6 says. But then he still had the marks. Yeah, the last thing the disciples seen were these marks, especially when they put him in the tomb and stuff. It makes sense to me that he would come out. Yeah. That's a, just a, a really identifying mark, which probably even heaven, then maybe at some point afterwards. Well, yeah, it, it could have just been a special, unique case for Jesus to show his disciples. Uh, it could be that he had it just for the time until he ascended into heaven, and then those markings are gone. We just don't know. So it's a tough one. Yeah. First thing goes through my head, I don't know what it is, but flesh and blood can't enter. Yeah. First Corinthians 15. Yeah. Well, um, there must be something different about our bodies, obviously. Um, uh, Again, going in, I'm not doing this on purpose, it's just coming up a lot because of our context. LDS teach, it's in heaven, it's not flesh and blood, it's flesh and bone. So the Heavenly Father is not flesh and blood, he's flesh and bone. And he has a material body that's locked in and that he's not omnipresent. Um, Will we have blood in our resurrected state? Will we have bone in our resurrected state? Will we have flesh as we know it in our resurrected state? We, We just don't have the descriptors, the scientific descriptors in Scripture that that lead us in that direction. Um, now, what's the spirit of what's being said in 1 Corinthians 15? That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Is it, okay, now figure out scientifically what you're going to be like in the glorified state. Well, no. The, the thing is, as you are right now, as a fallen creature, you cannot exist in the presence of God. So, Dusty. Um, talking about like Jesus, how you have the marks on his hands. Yeah. He had like the livings like from, on his back. Oh. Do you have that too or just... No, well, it doesn't say... So that's the first thing we have to acknowledge. But potentially, yeah, I mean, he was, he was marred beyond recognition. But he was able to be recognized still afterwards. So I don't know. When he allowed him to. Yeah. Yeah, he had to open their, what does it say, open their eyes? Their eyes were opened? It doesn't say their spirits or souls or minds or hearts were opened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good. Keep that one in your back pocket. We'll ask Jesus when we get there. Okay. <clears throat> oh. Okay. The marks were there for us, so the witnesses didn't think he was just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could see his body. Right. Yeah. Interesting stuff. The Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Elijah and Moses appeared. They didn't have to say hi. 
That's right. Yeah, that, that's a good point. They yeah. They look at the pictures and had no idea. Yes. Other than just probably old, and they may not have been old Yes. And that, that is an amazing thing, is that they knew that it was Elijah and Moses. Yeah, that is really remarkable. Because obviously they weren't contemporaries. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. All right, uh, a couple more notes here. Understanding the absolute unity of the body and soul, created at a point in time in the image of God, goes a long way toward ruling out false teachings about the nature of man. If bodies and souls must go together, there was no preexistence of souls awaiting a marriage with flesh. Now, that's really important, Okay. Um, bodies and souls go together. Uh, there's this unity here. When did Adam come into existence? Yeah. Now, are you talking about his body or his soul? Yes. Good answer. Right? Okay. So body and soul, if the, this unity aspect is true, as Scripture presents it, if they must go together, that doesn't mean that there was this uh, preexistence of souls. We looked at that last week. Greek philosophy would teach that God created a bunch of souls in eternity past, and then he just whoop, shoots them down when babies are born, okay, or when they're conceived. Well, that's not what we believe. We believe that he creates body and soul together at the same time. They're meant to go together, okay? So if, when you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, it kind of helps us think through these things. God breathed life into Adam, and then he became a living being. John Frame, there is no particular period in time when the body exists without a soul, nor any point in time when the soul is added to a soulless body. The soul exists from conception, for it is an aspect of the total person who exists from conception. Okay. Heath Lambert, the body is very good and is declared to be so by God himself, who makes his home in it. Sin is very bad, and it weakens and decays the body. We long for the day, mentioned by Paul, when we will have glorified bodies, not stained by sin and weakness. Okay? Well, we'll jump into that next week. But I wanted to end on those two quotes that kind of give us another perspective on that. All right? Final thoughts, questions, hopes, dreams, aspirations, complaints. Yeah, that's right. Magic of context. Lizzie? It sounds like to me that oh. all of the things that were, were mentioned here in class today, the heart, the soul, we are to love him with our total being. That's exactly yes, it. Yes. That's it. Yep. And your total being has a material aspect, immaterial aspect. That's it. I don't know where it's at. I know I've got one. There you go. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if anybody has ever felt conviction from God, you know you have an immaterial aspect, don't you? Because that doesn't happen in your physical heart. Okay? That's not just chemicals in your brain. That's something that's happening deep inside. And you can say that about love. You've experienced true, true love. Covenant commitment. Okay? It all happens in the immaterial and expresses through the material. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this study and we thank you for how you've made us. We ask that you would help us to honor you rightly in our bodies, but beginning with who we are as image bearers of you in our soul, in our spirit, in our mind, in our heart, that we would pursue you, that we would be renewed in these different ways, in our intellect, in our will, that we would be 
renewed in our emotion, in our relationships, that we would pursue you rightly and, and honor you rightly. God, we thank you so much for this time that we've had in your word and ask your blessing on the rest of the service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.